Without further ado, welcome to episode eight of Elo uh, Punters. Elo Punters. Okay, sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> Look, I forgot. Okay, I was watching the Elo Hunters to watch like the epic opening, and I forgot. Well, anyways, my name is Anurag Das at Odds at MTG. Today, I'm joined with um, co-host <laughs> at Gristlepuff Bob Wong and special guest Ved Carhead. Ved, what's up? At Ved Carhead on Twitter, right? Yep, at Ved Carhead. What's up? I'm chilling. I'm skipping a Zoom class to join this podcast, so nice. I'm honored. Nice. So are you Are you recording it? Of course, I'm recording it. What do you think this is? <laughs> this is This is COVID times. You got to find the tech to get that that uh, priority registration schedule in. Uh, Ved, introduce yourself a little bit. Who are you? Why? 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 Yeah. Who? Yeah. Okay. Who are you? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, I played one deck for the last. Maybe four years now. Uh, I taught Anurag everything he knows about miracles. Wait, what? That's the one deck I play. Um, yeah, I just grind MTGO basically. I'm Vedex on MTGO, but I never play on that account because I'm paranoid that people will look me up. Nice. I like that too. <laughs> so you'll never know who I am. How many alts do you have now? How many what's do I have? Alts. alts like at least seven, at least six. three. I know at Holy least three. Shit. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Were, like, were you like creating alts during that Veil of Summer time where it's like you created an alt and you made money by creating an alt? You can still do that. Yeah, but you don't make money. You like only, it only costs no, you, you make like... money. Yeah, uh, money. You spend five, okay, well you spend $5 and you get 100 play points, just $10 of play points. That's arbitrage right there. And then technically you sell what you get from the starter pack because you want to get rid of it all and you get two tickets because there's like one card and you get it twice from the starting pack and then what you when you actually pay for the five dollars my so, god tell you're up seven dollars okay all right i'll address the elephant in the room we're just going to start off with this right now we're streaming this live on twitch.tv unsidmtg so if you're not here if you're listening to the podcast next time tune in uh it's like it'll be like a tuesday i guess two weeks from now um uh, you can actually catch it live but y'all on the uh, listening to it right now you're just missing we are officially, I'm naming us the Bearded Baboons because, I mean, <laughs> you, you just got to look at Bob's facial hair. We spent about 15 minutes just trying to get Bob to like, like, okay, I, I'm going to pull up a picture, but basically our conversation was, um, hey, Bob, can you please like adjust your mustache so that like it, it, it actually like is even and bob was like i don't know what you're talking about i just had a meeting with my manager and my manager didn't say anything so i think it's fine and i'm gonna pull up the picture but it was incredible um we kind of laughed because just imagine like bob in a in like a face like a video meeting with his manager and the whole time i just imagine your manager was like wow this guy's mustache is horribly uneven it's like literally like an inch longer on one side hey man the stuff it doesn't come easily it's not natural like i gotta put a lot of effort into it and like I, I tried to make myself presentable for the viewers and for the podcast listeners or viewers so like, more likely. So, so this was this was phase one, screen. by the way. This was phase one, and this oh was phase two. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> phase one is the full goatee. Phase two, we got rid of it. We got rid of the soul strap, and, and now look at that, Bob. Can you tell me that's not uneven? It's literally an inch longer on one side. <laughs> All right, well, I fixed it. What more do you want from me? Like, uh, you that know was what? my natural growth. I you didn't know? realize it was uneven. Like, nobody, like, taught me that. Like, come on, I'm trying here. For what it's worth, Bob, time. while we're roasting you, might as well keep going. I spoke with your girlfriend, Miyaru, and she was just like, you know what? I appreciate this, but wait, don't you need to shave too? And then Maham was like, yeah, you're a hypocrite. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I am. But uh, 2020, it's all, it, it resolves. Um, hey, but you know what? Steamflogger boss in the chat says, you look great, Bob. So... Uh, rocket, rocket, rock the Asian dad bod. I got it. Um, okay, cool. So, 
what we're gonna do now is we're gonna go through the uh, the the old everything that we usually do. So. First order of business, I want to thank our new patrons. We've got James, Aaron, Michael, Nam, Jacob, Christopher, Jeremy, Elad, and Q. Welcome, welcome to our Patreon. Thank you for uh, supporting us. Your 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 uh, patronage is is how the sponsor of this podcast, I guess. So, so it's great. And then also thank you to um, Ellie of the Veil, vale, our editor Liz. She does an, a, a bang up job at. Uh, at the, I don't know, just like editing our podcast because none of us editing, are, yeah. yeah, exactly. None of us are capable of doing it. So, so thank you. And um, yeah, Patreon updates, Bob. What what new content do we have? Uh, I just put out a metagame update, and that's for Post Acoria, basically the past two weeks. And I I segmented week week by week for Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy, so you can see what decks did well in the first week, and then what decks did well, basically adjusting to the decks from the first week. So it's a more live update, and it's going to come out every week. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Upcoming content. Uh, so I'm, I'm still, here's the thing, right? With the Ikoria release, like I have sort of like lost my place in the format before I knew like snow was just busted and I like, it was just like what the thing to do. Right. But people are slowly adapting. And now with the release of, um, the companions, like everything is just like weird for me right now. So I have to like recreate a deck that I enjoy playing and that I think is good. And then after that, like, I can probably put up some notes and, and stuff like that. So if control mages, like, you know, hold tight, it's coming. Oh, Daniel's not here. What's up? Yeah, like, I wouldn't even bother because everybody knows that something's getting banned, i.e. Luris is getting banned. Mm. Uh, that's the only that's the only time we will use the we B word this episode. But, like, that card is going to go at some point. So, like, I feel like it doesn't make sense to, you know, create any detailed guides because the metagame's changing every week. So you really just have to be on top of it yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, and talk to other people who are also building decks because I think you are really, really rewarded uh, because as the metagame ch shifts, it's more like a standard format is how I felt like Current Legacy is. Uh, you know, week one, there was Grixis Delver and then everybody who played that did well. And then week two, people who played Jeskai Delver and adapted to that did well. And then, and then week three, so I'm going to go to get Caster. I'm going to cut you off here. Caster updates. Bob, what happened this past weekend? Uh, this past weekend, I played Sultai Delver and I got second. Sunday challenge, which was the bigger challenge of the two. So that's pretty exciting. And the, the, the week prior to that, I got top eight using uh, Grixis Delver. So I've, I've played a couple of Delvers with um, a couple of Lurises. And while it's totally messed up what I get to do right now, like I will be somewhat sad to see it go because it just feels silly. It just feels nuts. Yeah, that's what like Breach was for me. I mean, obviously, like when you win, like and then the card that enables you to win like goes away you're, it's just inevitable that you'll feel a little bit bad but i think i think i've made peace with breach and then you just like the thing is is like it, it's like a ticking time bomb because the whole time you're just like oh this card is way too good it's going to go this card is way too good it's going to go and then it goes and you're just like damn that card was so good i wish it hadn't gone you know what i mean and uh yeah i i think uh when you know when you get that feeling like this early like it's only been a like what a week and a half maybe two weeks almost since the card's been out right yeah, basically almost two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And so I think uh, that's, that's how you know, like, something's wrong. Like, I guess, like, with, with Breach, it took a couple weeks to figure out, like, how busted it was. Astrolabe, like, it took a couple months. Ren and Six, you know, same thing. And now, like, Companions, I feel like it's just been, like, a couple days. Like, literally, like, uh, Brad Nelson had a really good tweet, which was just, like, and it didn't apply to Legacy, but it was just, like, how Companions are sort of, like, an eighth card. And in a, a mid-rangey format, like, not having access to an eighth card just means that you're already inherently at a disadvantage. And, like, 
you know, like if you look at Delver shells today, I, I do kind of believe that Delver has like um, sort of migrated away from the all-in tempo plays to like more of like a mid-range deck. Case in point, like Arcanist is uh, more of like a mid-range card, I'd imagine, than a tempo card, although it does have some tempo aspects to it. Um, so it is sort of applicable when Delver right now is like kind of defining the format. But um, yeah, I don't know. Ved, do you have any updates in your life? I mean, we we haven't heard anything period like you know before. So tell me, what what are you up to in in these uh, COVID nineteen days? Well, as I said before, like I still go to school, but it's all via Zoom. Uh, what I do is I just look, like I have all my classes in the like early morning to afternoon. So what I do is I just turn on Zoom, I turn on OBS, and I record and I sleep. And one of my friends takes notes for me and then asks questions for me and just sends them to me later on. And then like. <laughs> I just send her my questions and then she asks my questions again. It's pretty dope. It's very nice of her to do. Nice. Would you um, rather go into class or would you rather do this for the rest of your college? Uh, well, I don't know. It's kind of depressing to just be home all the time. Okay. Like, besides, like taking the trash out, I just like haven't left my home. Nice. So pretty unhealthy. Nice. All right. Well, that's um, where that's. I guess now we know where we'll find. Bo- oh, sorry. Um. Okay. Well, that that's kind of cool though. So. But I have been playing a lot of magic as well because I'm home all the time and I don't really like to leave the house. Like I have a lot of homework because they have to make up for lab hours. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Magic has been really fun, and we were talking about how like playing with ridiculous cards is fun, and it really is fun. But I think what I like more about this meta game that I really hated about Breach is like. If you wanted to win, you could only play one deck during Breach and like during like when Snow was ridiculous. Like you should probably just be playing Snow. Yeah. But now there's like five different Lurus decks, and they're not even the same archetype. There's like mid range control combo, mm-hmm. and then there's like aggro. people are still tra- aggro too, and people are still trying to break Yorion. Yeah. And there's Gerudo, which is a meme, but then maybe someone breaks that too. Yeah. So there's like there's like a bunch of things you can do right now, which I think is really fun. Yeah. Then we're probably getting that a little bit later. So that that's super super sweet. Uh, on my end, let's see. Today is day eighty three. Captain's log. Um, yeah, I just still streaming. Um, no surprises here. I mean, like, if you've been listening to the podcast, if you've been watching me on stream, you know, like, we just do it day by day, one at a time. We'll see where we end up. Um, any updates that are important for me? Uh, mostly is just on Honey. So if you are invested in her health, uh, which I know a couple people are, uh, she's... Oh, how do I explain this? So she looks better. She acts better. But last, the results for biopsy actually came in, and, like, she's... They say that, like, she's still, like, not better, which is kind of weird because, like, all the, like, like, how she behaves and stuff is completely different. So, like, like, for example, like, a couple weeks ago, she wasn't even eating her, like, food, but now she's gone back to, like, you know, eating enough uh, of her, like, kibble food or whatever and stuff like that. And and so, I don't know, that's kind of, like, a good sign. Um, We went to the vet yesterday and she had to, uh, she got her stitches removed, so that's nice. And then... Uh, had a little bit of a blood sample taken just to get updates and things like that, which is like so expensive. I think we spent like almost ten grand now on all of her like medical expenses up to this point. So uh, <laughs> pet insurance looking better and better. Well, like look like the play, but anyways, I'm not gonna go into that. So um, I guess we could transition now to the next like overarching topic, which is like Twitter questions, and uh, chat will also take questions from you guys too. Um, if you guys have anything, uh, so yeah, I think the one question we had was from avid listener Dylan Hovey, uh, and he was asking Hovey. what cards. Oh, Hovey, that's Hovey, it. Yeah. Damn it, sorry, Dylan. Uh, is uh, what cards do you miss playing with? Uh, in parentheses, I guess uh, that are unplayable because they're no longer good. And Dylan said he misses Stoneforge Mystic. What about you guys? 
Well, I, I just re I replied to his uh, comment on Twitter with the uh, fact that Caleb, I think he top aided the super qualifier with Stoneforge Mystic, but it wasn't like Death and Taxes or Blue White Sunblade. It was like Zerda Blade. So I think the answer is you can play um, Stoneforge Mystic if you're playing it in some busted shell with a companion. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, do you have any cards that you miss playing? Uh, you'd have to come back to me. Like, I, I know we were joking earlier about like Brazen Borrower, but and and basically any card that costs three mana or more, I just can't play anymore. So I guess Plague Engineer is the. I don't know if I miss playing it, but it's like a card I really want to put in my decks but can't. So I'm just I need to hold myself back. Mm -hmm. okay. It's not Dark Depths. <laughs> I can technically play Dark Depths. It's less than three CMC. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I don't really miss. I mean, like Breach was fun, but it's like, uh, like unplayable. Okay, that doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah unplayable is different from like bad, right? Banned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I don't, I don't miss AK. Although it's pretty sweet. I'm trying to think. I guess. Wait, this is kind of an interesting thought because maybe my conclusion is I just don't like have any actual like attraction to a lot of the cards that I play, but more of like the macro style no, I think, of play I think the real answer is that predict is still playable somehow so you're you're good yeah That's i think so too if predict was unplayable as well right now then i'd probably be like i'd be like oh yeah i, I guess i don't know but somehow um uh what about really you, quick, you have you, anything what's up really quick though can we, can we talk about how ridiculous breach would have been right now with dude it's guy? literally uh vintage breach plays luris <laughs> and underworld breach and like I played a league with that with um, Anthony Laverty, who actually won the most recent Vintage Challenge, or maybe it was one of the Vintage Challenges past week, with the deck, and he was like, yeah, my deck is broken. I accidentally submitted a 14-card sideboard, and I still won. And I was just like, wait, what? Uh, for someone who has never played Vintage before, uh, or, or had very, very little Vintage exposure, uh, we went 4-1 and one easily in our, in our duo queue, and like... Like, it, it was absurd. So just thinking about it in Legacy just makes me want to, like, like uh, you know, just throw up a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Question in the chat from uh, Rosé. Uh, a six-month Gold Sensei's Divining Top sub <clears throat> shilling. Uh, question for Anu. Would you rather unban Breach or Top? Okay, so if in terms... If you answer this wrong, I will unfriend you and unsub. Wow. Okay, so in terms of power level, I think... Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I actually think <coughs> Breach is more powerful than Top. It's weird. Yeah, no crap. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if I wanted to win, I would say breach. But then, like, if for like nostalgia value, like I just sensei, like is sensei's divining top even like that busted anymore? Yeah. You think so, or are you just Lyric saying so? I mean, lyricals is already playable. Like, you Dude. don't have to play Jace at all. Like, there's an argument that like maybe you still need like one Jace in miracles, but like. I don't even think you would play Jace at all. Like he would just play like four top, four counterbalance, and treat the angels and like sit back on. Mystic okay, fine. With, it, in the context the of Luris, you're probably right. But I'm just thinking like, imagine if your opponent had like Narset on the other side of the table, and they go like end step like brainstorm, and then you're like, okay, rearrange, okay, tap top, and then you cry. Ever so, or like if your opponent plays like Wait, Karn, you can do it on their turn. You yeah, yeah, but like that's that's what I'm saying. Like if they if they brainstorm on your turn, like you can't tap top to draw a card. You know what I'm saying? Like that weird weird. I, I'm just saying like I think 2019 with all the new cards that have been printed, I'm just very surprised that there's like with all the B and R stuff that's been going on, there's not a lot of like unrestricting. But I guess that's historically always been a problem. Um, I would probably lock in top just so that I could play it. But I mean, I definitely see the allure to uh, unbanning breach as well. And what I will say about top is that when we got to play the Legacy Unchained thing, 
I only won with one deck in every single time I played, and it was only Miracles, so... Nice. Okay. <laughs> so, I guess we could talk about um, the first topic of the day, which is probably going to be, to nobody's surprise, Companions. Uh, ooh, okay, Companions are... Well, I guess, well, let's, let's talk about results first, because I think that's just, like, a really good way to ground everything. <laughs> um, so... A uh, user, Twitter user Yahi Anil actually made this really nice graphic um, that was like, it, it basically goes over all of the results and all the formats and like the exposure that we've seen with companions. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, it seems like... Um, 80... Yeah, so we'll, we'll put a link to this in our in our show notes. Um, but yeah, you want to go through the legacy piece? Yeah, so just I'll, I'll go even higher level just for the people that are, you know, play other formats. But it's 80% um, exposure in standard. This is just all the companions, period. 70% uh, in, in pioneer, 55% in modern, 70% in legacy, and 60% in vintage. So that's pretty incredible. Already you're seeing basically like in every format except modern, you have 70% or higher. Oh, a vintage is sixty percent. Never mind. Okay, anyways, that's that's still pretty crazy. If we dive down into legacy and just like sort of like zoom in, though, we can see um, in order from highest to lowest, Luris has a forty-eight percent um, rate of play. I guess it's played forty-eight percent, or it's showing up in what is this like the the like top eights or something like that? Yeah, with one challenge for each format and, and a modern qualifier. Here are the results. Uh, so I guess that's like all the the highest results for all the challenges. Uh, and Every uh, premier event. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then after Luris, we have what? What comes next? Looks like Zerda. Legacy, Zerda. Yeah. Ten yeah, percent. Garuda is six percent, and then finally Yorion at four percent. With one person, with one percent actually Giganta, which is actually that probably was blue green lands, and that was Kellen, and then he he took it out of the deck afterwards because he's like, it's necessary. Okay. All right. Well, that that's that that's actually quite hilarious. Just Giganta. Um. So. Um, blah, 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 blah. what are we? What are we doing? What are we doing? That's kind of crazy, though, right? Forty-eight percent, fifty percent Luris. How do you guys feel mm -hmm. about that? I think the funny thing about Luris is you go in sequence of power level of formats, and it just goes higher and higher. Like standard, it sees twenty twenty percent, pioneer thirty-five percent, modern forty-three percent, legacy forty-eight percent, vintage like fifty percent. Mm -hmm. So every single format, like it seems like the lower CMCs you have. Um, more options available. So like the drawback mm -hmm. isn't really as much of a drawback. Mm -hmm. I just wish they like, uh, we have this conversation all the time, but we just wish that they had like changed the cards slightly differently. For instance, in, for Luris, it should have been all cards instead of permanence. And then, then I think it would be um, much more restrictive. Like you're not going to be playing Force of Will in your Luris decks. And then I think it becomes a fair card. Or like at least like not absolutely absurd. Yeah. Because yeah. Karuga, it's all cards in your deck. So I just don't know why for Luris they didn't have the same restriction. Yeah. Wait, all cards in your deck? What do you mean? What is Karuga again? Which one is that? Karuga is like every single card in your deck is three or up, whereas Luris is only permanent or have to be two. Oh or yeah, yeah, dude, that would that would be so crazy. That, I feel dude, like Karuga is actually just really underpowered then, right? Yes. I mean, in Legacy it is. Uh, there's a few things you can do to get around Karuga in Legacy. Basically, you have to play like all the spirit guides, uh, but it's not going to be good in legacy yeah mm -hmm. yeah plus you don't want to like you have to like find a way to get payoff from the actual companion itself right one thing that i've learned is that like just because you have a companion in your deck doesn't mean that the companion is going to be busted so i, I mean outside of luris so very specifically like in the past few weeks i've really been trying to 
I still want to play Control. I don't really want to play um, Luris Delver. That thing is just not for me. Like it's 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 powerful, but like it's just not for me. I like I I've went through this recipe before where I played Delver right after the top end, and 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 Bob and I we you know we played in a team tournament where we got bodied by in the in the X three bracket by a show and tell player who just like completely outplayed me. It was incredible. Um, but so that's why that's why I've looked towards Yorion and. I swear to God, deck building with 80 cards is just so much different than deck building with 60 cards for a number of reasons. A lot of the things you need to consider are just like, I think, I think for me, the hardest part is like mostly like mana. I, you're, you just don't get that kind of exposure playing regular magic with how to build 80 card mana bases. And I'm slowly learning of all the complexities. Like Ar Arkham's Astrolabe is obviously something, it's a very powerful tool that carries you when you're playing 60 cards, but how do you extrapolate that to 80 cards, right? So one of the things that I've been doing is I've been playing with Abundant Growth. And Abundant Growth is pretty good, but it is definitely not Arkham's Astrolabe. That's what I've learned. Um, and you're, it's just crazy. Like when you when you don't have Arkham's Astrolabe, like your games against you know Wasteland look so different than when you do. And... I've had a number of embarrassing situations where I just haven't been able to cast my spells. But let's say that, like, I get my mana to work, right? Now, after that, um, obviously, as a control deck, you have to be controlling something. So, right now, I think the deck to beat is, like, Jeskai Delver. Not Jeskai Delver, but Luris Delver, uh, whether that's Bug, uh, whether that's Jeskai, or whether that's Grixis, right? So, those are the three Delver variations, I think, that are doing really well right now. Um, and it's, it's weird because like, I do have this companion, right? I do reveal my 81st card at the beginning of the game, but in the context of the Delver matchup, like I'm not really ever casting this card until like, uh, until maybe you could say I've won the game almost, right? Like I'd have to have six lands in play to play through a daze. And then, then that's when you really have to wonder like, is this actually a card in your hand or is it just like something in the sideboard that is just imposing a bad deck building restriction on you? So um that's just one well, thing I think that the threat of yorion is always scary from the delver side because it blocks delver very well and usually when it comes into play it draws like two to four cards and so as a delver player i always have to plan to keep a daze in my hand on turn five just in case you know you decide you're desperate enough to want to jam basically yeah so it definitely changes some dynamics of the game i don't think it's necessarily amazing but it's it's a lot stronger than i thought it would be for a five drop that's fair. Yeah, I think against like the Bug Delver decks, Yorion is is fine because you can't just like trade with it for one mana. But as soon as you introduce like Pyroblast into the equation, it just it, like my stomach churns and grumbles and grumbles like thinking about about trading five mana for one, and it's it's not good. Um, but in terms of like other control stuff, Ved, you said you've been playing a lot of Luris Miracles. So why don't you talk to us about yeah. that? So, <clears throat> like at first when Luris came out, I was like, oh, this is just gonna make miracles suck because like miracles like no matter how much miracles play, players will say it's un, like it has a like a really good match against delver delver always has a chance of winning and i was like oh well you can't play terminus and treat without without jace the mind sculptor mm -hmm. but turns out bobble works really really well with predict and so does counterbalance and being able to just play turn two counterbalance and him your opponent or like set them back a turn and then have access to it like two or three turns later is really insane, and you can just stay ahead of car ahead of them in cards with like either Luris Bobble or just predicting, predict like Bobble yourself to predicting. So the yeah, can you explain that a little bit further? So basically, you your predicts are a little bit better because you know the top card of your library, and then you can use Bobble to trigger Terminus. Like, what are some other synergies? Uh, with well, Bobble? so the, the biggest problem with predict, I think, is that it really encourages poor cantripping. So if you have a fetch land and land in play, and 
you want you want to cast ponder so there's like a lot of spots where you have to fetch before you cast ponder and then you like keep some bad cars and then if your predict gets like spell steering spell pierce day something like that something bad happens like you might just lose the game because you're drawing like a brick you're probably taking between three to five damage and being able to just like fetch and bobble and then predict right away it basically incentivizes you like it helps you cantrip a little bit better and it yeah. also like <clears throat> happens to trigger terminus right yeah so that's always nice. i think it's actually so good or at least in my mind like the interaction feels so smooth that like if luris got banned tomorrow i would probably still play bobble in in regular miracles you know what i mean like i like i, I didn't realize it was like how is it how did this really just go undiscovered up until now unless somebody actually tried it and like nobody listened to them I, th I think someone did mention it like right when top got banned or maybe like a little bit after top got banned and we just like all kind of laughed it off and like yeah all the synergies that they mentioned or that i recall are like things that i'm thinking now is like wait it's insane with predict and with miracles and also works really well with monastery mentor because it's a free spell to play on three and maybe you can play with days and like all this stuff okay, so how many would you said. play how many would you play I don't know. Like, I would probably start out playing four and just see how it feels. And obviously, like, I'd probably trim trim down because there's like less synergy. With Wait, are you talking with cat or without cat? Without. Cat. Oh yeah, I don't know. I'd probably yeah, I'd do the same thing. I don't know. Anyways, that, that that's like for a future day. That's for future a new future event to figure out. Bob, you can just ask to join the miracles chat once we break it. I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, that's that's been a running joke. Basically, I hate miracles with my soul, but like occasionally it becomes a tier zero deck, and I'm like. I tuck my tail between my feet and like honor. I add me back to Miracle's chat. But Dude, the, I think I the, this started when Bob actually registered Miracles for uh, Eternal Extravaganza Six, where he got brutally dismantled by like a handsome young lad just who wow. outplayed How him on multiple. Bring that up? What? Oh, <laughs> who? Who? I forgot who won EE Six. Was it? Was it? Oh, it was me. You're right. Right. Okay. No shame. Well, no every. Shame. <laughs> no shame. Um. Uh, but anyways, so like, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I, never mind. Okay, I'm over this. We're just going to move, move to the next thing. Um, so, so this is all interesting. So that, I, I do think Luris Miracles is pretty good. I, 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 me personally, I think right now, one of the reasons I'm not playing Luris Miracles and, and like, I think Luris Miracles is like, for me, it's like a backup deck. Like, I think it, it is certainly good in the meta right now or is like just does really good things so like i know that if whatever uh, crap that i'm working on doesn't work out then i could just lean back on ved's work and and like you know just like the other you know miracles enthusiasts work and just like start from there um but i really think back to basics is a really strong card in the format right now given how powerful delver is given how powerful um some of like the stompy decks are and like all the other things i know back, back to basics just seems really good right now um and i don't really want to Oh, yeah, I know. One one other reason why, why Back to Basics is really good is because of the card Caracas, but we'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, but I don't really want to give that card up. And as soon as I want to play with uh, Back to Basics, well, obviously it's 3CMT, so I can't play with Luris. So there's a little bit of clash there. Otherwise, I would definitely be playing some sort of Luris variant of Control because it is just such a powerful card to uh, um, not... Why do you like Back to Basics over Blood Moon? Um, I feel like blood. I get burned by Blood Moon a lot because I really like my fetch lands, and Blood Moon turning that off is not very good. I mean, obviously, like I have Arkham's Astrolabe, but then also again, like against the red variants, like Blood Moon doesn't even like of Delver. Sorry, the red variants of Delver. Blood Moon doesn't even like seal up the deal. Like it's harder to get off the board for them, but like, like you still yeah, get to play Arkham's. Thinking is yeah. like every most Delver decks have Pyroblast or Decay, so they can answer your back to basics mm -hmm. whereas yeah. blood moon is 
like pretty much unanswerable right with the current builds yeah i mean maybe that's true i think my big issue is like dreadhorde's still in play power blast you can still cast it bolt you can still cast it and i know a lot of people will leave in bolt um i guess the other issue is maybe i should try blood moon oh, oh but decay that's the other reason i think <laughs> decay is also ex ex just ex extremely good right now um, from a control perspective, because you want to be able to uncounterably kill turn two Arcanist. You want to be able to uncounterably kill, you know, maybe, maybe like a Lurus that gets played at the wrong moment. You also just want to be able to uncounterably kill Winter Orb, which has always been the bane, which has always been and always will be, I think, the bane of, you know, just control decks. Um, all these decks right now are, all these Delver decks right now are playing multiple Winter Orbs. And sorry, so I, I guess you might be wondering why I'm harping so much on the Delver matchup. I, I think part of the control dynamic is that like, you can always sort of like out card advantage like the other mid-range decks. The control mir mirrors are just like, you know, about being the, the deck that generally draws more cards and is like the better quote blue deck. Uh, but the Delver matchup is something that has always stressed me out, and I feel like, and maybe this is this goes back to like last episode where I was talking about how when you're building a deck, you want to <clears throat> always keep Delver in mind because even if Delver is not a good deck, like a top tier deck in the format, it is a deck that you need to be able to beat because if it, as soon as like the format disrespects it, it takes over. As soon as as soon as you know Delver gets one broken card, it takes over. We've seen that with Ren and Six, we've seen that with Treasure Cruise, and now we're seeing it with Luris, um, which is also like if we're talking, I mean I'm. Okay, sort of like a bi-week wheel, a reminder that we don't want to talk about bans all the time, but like every time Delver is busted, we see a card gets banned out of it. Um, for example, like Probe, Deathrite, all these other cards that I just mentioned. So I don't know, just like thoughts like this, right? Delver, you always have to respect it and you always have to, I personally like to build with that deck in mind. And so that's why I'm harping on it so much. It is probably like my number one deck to be because it's just such a damn good I think that's good often deck. the case historically, but I would say it's even more of the case right now just because of how absurd Luris Delver is. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I I wish I kept better stats, but currently Delver is like a third of the metagame. And that's like, that's absolutely ludicrous. Mm -hmm. Usually it's closer to, you know, 20% or so. Yeah. Uh, so I, I definitely think now is definitely the time to be respecting Delver. So that yep. makes sense to me. No, for sure. So, I mean, I guess now that we, we've talked about Delver a lot, I mean, okay, I that sort of explains like my my hesitance to play Luris and I, I think Miracles is really good. Like Ved, you've been you you like you've played so much Miracles that you know like when the deck feels good, it feels good, right? Like and this this time it doesn't feel clunky. So that must mean a lot. Yeah, like I think I guess like a lot of people in like Miracles chat and it's like places have like kind of thought like I guess they think of me like a Miracles apologist. Like I'm always like, oh no, Miracles is playable, but right now Miracles feels so playable. Like like people are playing Bug, like Bug Delver, and that just feels like unlosable. Mm -hmm. And then people are playing Yorion Snow, which feels incredibly unlosable. And like Grixis and Jeskai is like always close, and I think you can like build the deck and like there's a lot of play to that matchup, but it doesn't feel clunky because you're not playing these like threes and fours that you're forced to play traditionally. So um, can, so can you tell me why these matchups feel quote unlosable? Just like give me a little bit more, and then we'll move on to like the next big. Well, then we'll move on to the big bad Delver. So okay, so like. Specifically for Bug Delver, like every time you play against Delver, you usually have to like take a few hits because you're like trying to play your removal around days and like spell pierce or like stifle or whatever. And like traditionally, you end up around like seven or so life. And then like the game's all about trying to close or trying to like lock them out with counterbalance before they burn you out. But Bug Delver doesn't have those tools. And because of Luris, because you can recur counterbalances, it just feels so incredibly hard to lose when you like start like pulling ahead of them, especially with predicts. Um, 
And not just that, but like with the introduction of Sabine's Reclamation, like you don't have to play scared of Decay anymore. So you have like Caracas and Sabine's Reclamation to keep your Luris safe or to bring it back. And Bug Delver is like a really good matchup, I think. It always has been for Miracles because like the way Miracles loses to Delver is you have to basically play your removal to play around soft counters and basically you're sacrificing, you're using your life total as a resource, right? Mm -hmm. To make sure your spells resolve. And the way Delver abuses that is by playing Lightning Bolt. And like seven, when you're at seven, you're not actually at seven. There's a possibility you're at one at, on like turn 10. Um, and Bug Delver doesn't do that. Like their creatures are bigger and sometimes they're harder to kill, i.e. Nimble Mongoose, but a Wrath is a Wrath and a Wrath against them is particularly powerful. And with Lurus having lifelink and with Lurus recurring counterbalance, it just feels like incredibly unlosable, especially because you have Sabine's Reclamation and Caracas to protect your, your Lurus. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. What about the Yorion Snow matchup? You also said that one felt unlosable. And when we say Yorion Snow, we're talking about um, this list that sort of Echo Baronin has uh, popularized with like, it's like, I call it the quad laser metagame slayer uh, with like four of everything, basically four decay, four baleful Strix, four uh, ice fangs, uh, a couple jaces in the mix. And then the sideboard is like also quad laser, but based on like whatever you play in the metagame. So you know, for example, he's got, he had at the time four Meddling Mage, four Null Rod, that kind of good stuff, but now it could be anything else, you know what I mean? Um, so, like, actually, that's, I was looking at, like, my results today, just, like, going through my MTJ history, and that's the deck I played against the most mm -hmm. with Lyricals, and I haven't lost yet, I'm 5-0. Okay, that's a good start. Um, I just feel like, well, first of all, it's an 80-card deck, so it has a lot of inconsistencies, mm -hmm. and we're, we've talked about this, like, personally, too, like, when you play 80 cards, the ratios don't make sense anymore. Things like when we played Miracles, we wanted to cut one land. We wanted to go from 20 to 19. And we we're like, okay, if you add one, like if you go to 12 cantrips, that works. But this deck is like a deck playing like what, 12 cantrips? Mm -hmm. And you're still like, you're playing 28 lands. And then you have like eight birds that don't do anything in like in this matchup either. Yeah. Um. Basically, I feel like the deck doesn't draw the right half against the decks it wants to a lot of the time. Um, I also think that a lot of the decks just do nothing. Like, it revolves so much around Yorion that, like, if you Terminus two birds, or, or like, EE a couple Astrolabes, they they just don't do anything. Like, their Yorion draws two, and then they die, because you're doing stuff. And they yeah, they, their cards aren't really impactful in the matchup, right? Like, Uro and Oko are, like, cool, powerful cards, but I think Uro has definitely fallen off, and Oko is very, it's just like a Pyroblast Magnet, right? Exactly. And the other thing, and the real reason why I think Lyricals is so good right now, like, so, so good, is because Entreat the Angels is absolutely unbeatable. And, like, it's to the point where, at one point, with Blue White Red Delver, this happened to Sam Rukas in the challenge against JPA, like, we were playing one Entreat, Blue White Red, and we were just getting decked, because people would just sit on all their counters, because they, like, the deck was really exploitable, because you only had one card that won the game, and you had no other way to win. Like, you're playing one or two Snapcaster Mages and Lurus, and those cards are com completely irrelevant when you have to start Splash in your deck. So, the way, like, I decided to build around that was by adding Veil of Summer and by adding a second entry in the sideboard. And, like, that's not, like, obviously, like, I think it's common sense of, like, why that solves the issue. First first of all, Veil makes your entry uncounterable, and it's, like, kind of cute where you can trigger on their turn with the entry as well, like, on their end step. I did that a couple times. And also, like, Having access to a second entreat when you only have one Mystic Sanctuary is really insane. It's like it's like decks like Snow against decks like Loam. You know, it's like Delver. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Can we talk a little bit more about Yorion as a companion? I think you alluded to it. Um, you're mentioning like basically all the Yorion decks are control decks, and they have the draw the wrong half of the deck problem. The other problem I see is is combo hate because 
Uh, I think for 80 cards to work, you need to have enough of your cards be live against combo in the main deck. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's something like, you know, counterbalance or maybe something like Drown in the Lock, like you need to play more kinds of cards that are more versatile, I think. And yeah. I, I just don't know if there's enough of those cards yet. I agree. So that's, I, I, I know. Uh, the, okay, so let's talk about consistency first because that's the biggest issue, right? Mana bases, numbers, they don't scale simply. This is, uh, I think Max Dorchin on Twitter had posted this where he was just like, just like, let's let's say you have like 12 cantrips in a, in a 60 card deck, right? And you say, okay, mathematically, if I scale this up to 80 cards, I'm at 16, uh, 16 cantrips in my deck, right? Your consistency in the 80 card deck will not be the same, okay? It will not be the same just because you have the same number of cantrips. And that's because, well, one huge reason, not just because, but one huge reason is that your cantrips fundamentally become so much worse uh, because your brainstorm... So, like, baseline, let's say we're playing a 60 card deck and I go ponder on turn one, right? And I see three cards out of 53 cards. That does not scale with, with 80 cards, right? Because you're seeing suddenly three cards out of... 73 cards right and so you can see already that there's like a giant dip same with brainstorm and same with astrolabe and same with all your whatever cyclers so like you're already not going to be able to find lands as easily as um you know you are with like uh, in a 60 card deck but then when it comes down to finding like your actual action spells or like how many sweepers do you play like you sure you're, you're going to scale up you know the number of sweepers you have in your deck but the consistency overall because of the inherent like i guess like the the inherent fail rate of your cantrips is increased and yeah, you just you just flub that way, and you could argue, okay, fine, maybe I'll put in some more cantrips into my deck, but there is really a diminishing return to cat. And I hate to be the one to say this because I'm the person who likes to, I have a sick fetish with drawing cards, right? But like, if your deck is literally like all cantrips, your cantrips will only cantrip into cantrips, and that also technically like decreases the potency of your cantrips, right? The purpose of the cantrips is to like not just find more, uh, I guess selection, but it's actually to find like the critical cards that you need in the right moments, right? So. There's a like weird sort of like dynamic and it's really stressful for me because I think at the end of the day like I've I've slowly sort of realized it's like Yorion Snow you can't really build it without playing a lot of these like two mana cyclers too um because without well without the two mana cyclers right like again for example in the Delver matchup you aren't really impacting the board enough right like your opponent gets to develop and set up and like do this sort of stuff while you're cycling and doing all your own sort of stuff but um yeah, without, so what I was saying, like, without that, you have, yeah. And so with it, like, you run into this problem where you're just, like, spending too much mana. Actually, sc scratch this part. What am I saying? I've actually forgotten what I'm trying to say. But basically what I'm trying to say is, like, you have to play the, you have to play the birds because, like, you need that additional consistency, but you can't afford to play the one mana cantrips because, like, it's, it's like, too much do-nothing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the birds Wait, so, are... So do you think, <laughs> like, you tried Yorian Miracles. Uh, are you still playing eight birds in Yorian Miracles? Well, we had AK in that deck, which was kind of like the same thing if you think about it right it's just like drawing cards turned through your deck that kind of deal AK seems even worse when you have 80 cards Wait, you have 60, intuition right? you have intuition yeah so intuition was like the real deal breaker there but it actually turned out that ved and i were when we played that challenge we just drew AK like naturally most of the time so i think we were just like hashtag whitelisted or something like that um mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't Wait, know so so what's your verdict on yorian like you can do it with snow but it's probably not good with miracles and it's probably not that good in general my my verdict is like you oh that's the other thing too right like you're also priced into playing the snakes and the birds because of yorion itself you need to have a, a baseline number of blinkable targets but my, my 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 verdict is like as soon as you start filling up your deck with too many birds like it's kind of like what ved mentioned early right the, there are a lot of matchups where the birds don't matter and in those <laughs> matchups 
you get absolutely blasted into oblivion. So, for example, against uh, control, uh, against uh, combo, and and that's where it becomes. That's why I've slowly like sort of progressed away from Echo Baronin's deck, and then I'm just like in my own little space right now where I'm playing quad counterbalance in my deck because I feel like you know, in addition to the birds, you need to have those sort of impactful cards that are good in fair matchups and that are good in combo matchups. And I think, like you mentioned, counterbalance is one of those cards. I think Drown in the Lock is one of those cards. I also think, technically speaking, Collective Brutality is one of those cards, but Collective Brutality is not really playable. Um, so, I don't know, that, that's sort of just, like, where I'm going with it. Um, I still think it needs a lot of, like, tweaking and tuning and stuff like that because the consistency in the mana is just, like, so much more... I don't I, know. I don't understand why the mana is that hard. Like, I think you can take a similar ratio. Like, like the lands, you can just ratio up. And I, I think you can actually play fewer lands, which should mean that you theoretically flood less. And there are some advantages to 80 cards, which is that, like, you know, you're not going to mill out. And that, like, when the game goes long, like, say in your 60-card deck, you have, like, two sweepers. Well, in your 80-card deck, you can have three, so you actually have the potential to draw three in a game. So, I mean, there are some benefits to playing 80 cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that my... Uh... I think the the biggest thing that the reason why the scalability argument doesn't work is that there's one card in the deck that you cannot scale up, and that card is Arkham's Astrolabe. Abundant Growth is not Arkham's Astrolabe. Abundant Growth is not Arkham's Astrolabe. Bob, say with me, Abundant Growth is not <laughs> Arkham's Astrolabe. Right. Uh, the number of times where I've opened up with like Basic Island, one land hand, Basic Island, and like Abundant Growth, I've it. Look, it's like it's like, at this point, it's just kind of like a. It's like it's like. PTSD where I'm just like, oh god, I don't want to think about that. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. It's just not it. So, yeah, Louis Louis Nail in the chat is asking prophetic prism when, and I actually thought about that, and <clears throat> like <sighs> the difference between two mana and one mana is just rough. Also, I've realized that like the way like when you go go up to twenty eight cards, like you start thinking to yourself, okay, you know what? I don't need all these actual true mana sources and then you start fitting in cards like Caracas and then Mystic Sanctuary and then that like also like sort of like bastardizes your your scalability a little bit more just in terms of like because you're adding functionality instead of just like uh or utility rather than just like basic functionality. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, like, listeners and whatnot, please tell me what your solutions are because I want this deck to be good. I I think there is, like, some sort of thing there, and I really, really do want it to figure it out. Um, I think regarding scalability, my biggest problem is just combo hate, as you said, and I like your solution of yeah. having more flexible cards because... Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned it a little bit, but I just want to repeat, like, 15-card sideboards doesn't scale 80-card main decks. That's true. Yeah, that, that's the big thing, right? You're basically nerfing your, your sideboard slots by about a third or something mm -hmm. like that. And Also, uh, you, you lose a slot because you're playing Yorion, and mm -hmm. then, you know, it's it's 14 to 80 versus 15 to 60. So, well, uh, it's basically like you have, like, 10 and a half sideboard cards. Yeah, yeah. I also want to say... It's, like, a big no-no in blue, fair blue decks. You want, you know, 20 yeah. sideboard slots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you want actual proof that the Orion Snow archetype is viable, like, I just, small shout out to Francisco uh, Pollitz, uh, F. Pollitz on Twitch, who's also in the chat right now, this is a good time to segue, um, who got second place in the showcase qualifier, so this is like the small 25-person event um, that just happened, like, uh, Sunday or whatever it was, um, where the winner gets qualified for the PT and the mocks, okay, maybe... <laughs> Oh, bless you. Um, but, like, the archetype is definitely viable, and, and I, the, I think it has good game against Delver, but it, it's just, like, the fail rate of the deck is what might be holding it back in my mind from being just, like, 
absolutely nut busted. You know what I mean? So I have a question for you though. Mm -hmm. like, I think the way I decide on playing a deck or like playing a deck that's not the best deck is what's the upside. And I just can't find the upside of playing Yorion over any Lurus deck really. Yeah, so I think the upside, so I'm making up some stuff here, so like, you know, obviously feel free to attack it, and if it's not logically consistent, so be it, but the upside is, A, I don't want to play, well, I, I think the upside that I mentioned primarily was, I want to play back to basics, I want back to basics in, in my 70, in my 95, I guess, because I think that card is really good in the meta right now, um, other than that, it's like, I could just play regular snow with 60 cards and 15 card decks, but I feel like, like, I just feel so defeated in saying this, but not having a companion, not starting with that, like not revealing something at the beginning of the game means that like, I'm just going to... Like, are you really a Pokemon trainer if you don't have a fucking Pokemon? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's it. And I just feel like, and it's just embarrassing to say, maybe this is like one of the inherent problems with companions is that if you don't have one, you're already at a disadvantage in most of your rounds. And like, that's why I'm playing Yorion and Snow. I mean, I don't want to play an 80 card deck, but the, the companion cost is forcing me to play it. And so here we are. You know what I mean? So right. it sounds like you're basically in denial and that you should, uh, you know, probably play more Lurus control deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Lurus Miracles them. will probably be the de facto control deck. I mean, I, there are obviously some glaring holes like I that I, you know, I'll let other people figure out while I work on my own thing, which is primarily like Winter Orb and like, you know, stuff like that. Um, and like not basically not basically not having abrupt decay. That's the glaring hole. Yeah, yes, yeah. Not having abrupt decay, which and like we've seen some Delver decks, like they're doing some crazy things. Like I've already seen Sylvan Library, Bitter Blossom, and Winter Orb. And that's like the, the unholy trifecta of cards that you don't want to see when you're playing miracles, right? Um That makes sense. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's like Wait, what, a what can you just um I mean, can you just play like disenchants or whatever, nature's chance, stuff like that? I mean the, I mean, the thing is you have to bring those cards situation <laughs> like abrupt decay is insane, right? Kill All right. Just, everything so i flamed you earlier bob i flamed you earlier so i'm gonna return the favor this is where you get to flame me flashback to uh eternal weekend 20 like 16 or 2015 it was 2015 the prize card is tundra your boy on zd <laughs> the boy your boy on zd is like eight and oh in the swiss and he's eyeing the the card right he wants that thing and then lo and behold he gets paired up against big bad bob wong and I think I win game one. I think you win game two, or maybe it's the other way around. This is back when, like, Treasure Cruise and Dig... No, uh, Treasure Cruise was banned, but Dictor Time was legal. And yep. so I open my opener hand, and, you know, like, it's game three, and this is, like, when, you know, you have to worry about, like, random-ass hate out of the sideboard of Grixis Elver. I think... I don't know if Winter Orb was a played card back then, but they have their shitty enchantments and permanents and, uh, and artifacts, and you have to be able to answer them. So I look at my opening hand, and it's just like, all right... If I mulligan, I die. What what is what did my seven card lottery win me? And it was land, 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 like a ponder, and like double wear tear. And Bob goes get taxi and probe on turn one and just breaks down laughing. He starts cackling. <laughs> he he legit just cackles at me. Like doesn't do anything else. And I get I get obliterated in the first like three games. So this is the problem that you have when you play a card like disenchant in the Delver Mirror, right? Applicability, right? It doesn't, it doesn't always like, like, and this is why like, you know, people are just like, oh yeah, you know what, Lurus and Red Horde Darkness, I'll board in my Graft Digger's Cage. That's just not how the Delver matchup works. And this is why Delver is so annoying to play against is because if your answers don't line up to their threats at any one moment, if you slip a beat, they will just murder you. They will like, they'll go, all right, you have your wear tear in the hand for the turn two, like Sylvan Library. Sure. Turn one Delver, turn two Delver. Like you're dead. You know what I mean? Like 
that sort of stuff went down. So now, Sounds like you should uh, consider playing some Delver after all. Well, I, I I've done it. Um, <laughs> okay, no, I, I get your point, and obviously, like the best other option is basically between Council's Judgment and Unexpectedly Absent, mm-hmm. and obviously both of those cards have their problems too. Right, there's one uh, new card is like particularly bad because people are are like not even playing anything that costs more than two now. Yeah, so it's like you're always trading down, and it's always sorcery speed. Yep. Uh, Actually, but there's Absent seems a little bit better than it normally is because of uh you know the fact that like there isn't anything like true name nemesis that you want council's judgment for yeah the mana right, cost kind of blows like ee which we're already playing the main deck in a second of the sideboard is really nice right now and like crater maker is like really good against specifically jeskai because it kills almost everything and it also kills winter winter orb so i bring in one of those as well so you do have mm-hmm. answers they're just not the most mana efficient answers and that's kind of the problem with miracles like yeah your catch-alls are not cheap unlike decay yeah, Wilt is probably like the new like heavy hitter from Ikoria that's like really good, but like that card is OP. That card, yeah, you it, can't play it in Miracles, right? Well, or, I mean, I suppose you can if you're playing green. So yeah, yeah I mean, uh, but Seal of Cleansing is better. Is yeah, because you can buy it back. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the thing. Like cycling on a disenchant effect may like solve so many problems, but like then your mana base is kind of weird, and like you're right, Seal of Cleansing, like no, not having any sort of like connectivity with Lyris is also kind of sad. So basically. That's just my rant, and I know, like, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm... All right, well, let's move on and talk about some other topics. I know people are definitely curious uh, about Delver. Like, it is the de facto deck, so we spent a lot of time talking about control. Let's mm-hmm. at least touch on Delver. Um, so as I mentioned before, basically, week one, Edgar Magaish comes out with the Grixis Delver deck, four baubles. Wait, wait. And I want to slow you down. Please don't insult the man. Day one, okay? Day one, he had, like, three trophies. Like in, in like a three hour span. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That was pretty incredible. It was a, it was a good run to the trophy. Like, range, like, but... let me just clarify this. This is how much of a madman he is. The card literally, the packs hadn't even come out yet on Magic Online. He had opened a treasure chest or he had gotten hold of a Lurus one way. So it was the night before Ikoria was officially released <laughs> on Magic Online. And the man just goes 15 0 and just like, you know, like sweeps the legs of everybody like that he plays against. It was ridiculous. Okay, continue. I mean, what I will say about that is that it's because his opponents don't have Luris, so he's like playing this right, He was card. playing, it was uh, literally the first two days, like people were calling it pay to play because Luris was like, I heard people were paying 40 ticks for a Luris. Yeah. Uh, and somehow you got whitelisted by opening a foil set of a coin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, I should I should be thanking you for that because you let me a Luris for the first week right there. Hmm. Um, but. Anyways, okay, so week one, Grixis Delver. Week two, JPA comes to the scene and also goes on an insane heater run. I think part of his stretch, he went 31-3, and three, and it was with Jeskai Delver. Uh, it was favored against Grixis Delver and all the other companion decks. It was favored against Grixis Delver because it had more removal, and it was favored against the other companion decks because it had Meddling Mage. Then, fast forward to week three, i.e. this weekend, um, basically... The night before uh, Sunday, so so Saturday, if you will, um, I was talking to my friend Stefan, uh, fellow Elo uh, punter, hunter, bunter, uh, <laughs> Stefan Schutz, mental misstep, and he told me that like, literal 2011 Stifle Mongoose Rug Delver got second place in the Saturday challenge, and we're like, oh, that just must be like you know a meme, like people just play that deck and like sometimes it does well, whatever, and then we're like, hold on, wait. What does Mongoose do against the Delver Mirrors now? It absolutely destroys them because before there was like roadblocks like True Name Nemesis. Nobody was really playing Tarmogoyf. Um, 
Oko is way, way, way down. And so we were like, wow, actually, maybe Mongoose is just a really good card, too. So I also looked at the Legacy League lists from Saturday that were posted. And then I saw that another friend of ours, Kai Sawateri, had built a Bant Delver list that was very reminiscent of Jonathan Alexander's uh, Rug Delver list. And those decks definitely strike uh, fear into the heart of a control mage. And so basically what it was was, you know, four Noble Hire, four Delver of Secrets, literally one Snapcaster Mage. And then it played Luris. So I was like, oh, shoot, that's what I want to do. I just want to play Nimble Mongoose with Luris. And then I eventually concluded that the black cards, Abrupt Decay, were a little bit better than the white cards, which were basically just Swords of Plowshares. Uh, and black cards also gave you access to you know things like uh, Bitter Blossom, Dead Weight. So overall, I thought black was a little bit better than white. So I switched the color, built the deck that morning, and then went on a run until the finals when I faced a different uh, opponent who basically had the exact same idea to play Bug Delver, play Nimble Mongoose to win the Delver Mirrors. And then he ended up beating me. He, he His list was better in the mirror. He had Baleful Strix uh, and uh, him to Torok, which are some cards that I hadn't seen in a while. So they definitely worked out in, in that matchup and he got the trophy. Um, but basically Bug Delver is the best Delver deck, I think, against the other Delver decks. But it does have a lot of problems, I think, against... Um, basically Yorian Snow because eight Baleful Strix is a huge problem. And then it also has problems against uh, Miracles. Uh, just traditionally, Bug has never been that good against Control. So I think like if you fill your deck with a million Counterspells and three Winter Orb, you can be fine against Control. But I personally don't want to go that heavy because those cards are not really good in the mirror. So now I'm at a spot where I know Bug can beat the Delver decks and be a little bit behind against Control. Like Obviously, I can play some stuff like Bitter Blossom and you know, scrape a win here and there, but I definitely will feel overall somewhat behind in those matchups. Uh, so that's basically my conclusion on the three Delver decks. I've thought about basically every color combination possible, and I've also thought about not playing Delver. Like Svaka, Tomas, Mar played a list with four Stifle, four Days, four Wasteland, but zero Delvers. He played Grixis. Um, but the problem is Delver is just so good in the mirror and so good against combo. Uh, it's only not good against Baleful Strix, basically, and Terminus. So you want it like against everything except for Control, more or less. Uh, and so to me, that means you basically can't get the card. And it's not like the card is bad against Control either. Like It can definitely win some games, too. Uh, so overall, my conclusion is I definitely am going to play Delver, but the color combination that is best is probably basically depends on the meta you're expecting to face. Yeah, Julian Neb was telling me that actually the the whole Tomas cycle has kind of gone like full story where Tomas originally was a Delver player and he was like the greediest Delver player ever. So he just kept adding more and more powerful cards, like a more and more like, you know, colors to his mana base. And then eventually he was just like, you know what? I just don't want to play Delver Secrets, but I want to keep everything else. And so that's how he created like the control deck, uh, like the, you know, the Svaka control deck uh, check mm -hmm. pile. And then, like, yep. it's kind of cool that he's going full circle back to, like, you know, he's playing a Delver deck, but just, like, without Delver, you know what I'm saying? So, But he's playing all the tempo elements, which yeah. is interesting to think about. Like, he's playing four Stifles, four Days, four Wastelands without the Delvers. And that, to me, really says something. That's saying, like, the tempo cards are really powerful right now. And I, I, I do think the tempo cards are pretty good in the mirror. Like, Stifle is hit or miss, but I think, uh, I think there is a way to you know, leverage stifle if you're a good player and maybe just have it always be live even on the draw. Like I tend to cite it out, but I know, you know, uh, some people tend to leave it in on the draw and it can be very effective on the draw too, but mm -hmm. your hands line up. So it's just, it's just a difficult card. I don't have the most experience playing with, 
but I'm definitely going to keep testing and trying to figure out um, what are basically the best Delver decks in the weeks to come. I'm just going to ask like a really dumb question here. Like baseline, why is Luris so good in Delver shells? Uh, I mean, it's the same as like the Treasure Cruise problem when and like the Ren and Six problem. When Delver has access to a card advantage engine, it already has the best early game because it has days. And so basically the first few turns of the game, Delver generally has stack control. And then if you leverage that stack control and then have card advantage, then you get to basically you know, keep the game in the early state if your wastelands are able to trade off and then you have the cards and the tempo advantage and then it's just unbeatable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's kinda yeah. that's kinda crazy. So I mean like maybe yeah, I don't know if there's any way to really exploit that, but I guess that, that is consistent with what I'm what I'm thinking too. So what would be the next step then in your opinion? Um like what like now that we've introduced Nimble Mongoose into the like battlefield, like what, I mean, what comes out? Nimble Mongoose is definitely really good. I think the other Delver decks will need to adjust. Um, I think like there are a couple answers. Uh, you can play Edict Effects like Liliana's Triumph. You can play Engineered Explosives, uh, which is somewhat clunky, but I guess they have Delver and Mongoose, so you know you can open yourself up to getting a two for one. Mm -hmm. But I think basically uh, Delver players are going to need to find ways to remove the Mongoose or play the Mongoose. Okay. Uh, so that's you want to hear something interesting? Jonathan actually mm -hmm. JPA um, who. JPA93, who Jonathan Angeleski, who actually, uh, I think he won the most recent SPTQ, right, with uh, Jeskai Delver, and he's been playing it a lot, like like you mentioned, the 31-3 and 3 run. He actually has said that the deck, like, he's not ready, he doesn't want to play it anymore, because he feels like the metagame has evolved, adapted to Jeskai Delver, to the point where it's like, nope, back to sneak and show. I, I think it's, I, he's been, he was able to win um, and go for, like, he's 8-2 with sneak and show, and he went 4-1 against Delver which uh, I'm fairly surprised. I'll be curious when his list is posted uh, to see like, if he had any innovations. My guess is that maybe people just moved away from Thoughtseize and then that made the Delver matchup manageable again. I know he's just playing a lot of fast mana mm -hmm. and I don't know if he, you know, he's tried many things. He's tried like Dreadful Darkness in the board. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm curious to see his, his new take on Sneak and Show to see if it actually beats Delver. Okay. My guess is like maybe it'll be fine, but then Delver can just easily readjust again. Okay. Um, to whatever you know, new tech he has, or yeah. he could just go to playing uh, Thoughtseize again, which is kind of the biggest problem. Let me ask you another question. Then, sorry, I'm just going to interview you. I guess this is what it is. Uh, but there's a specific matchup in mind, and this is kind of I'm kind of just like, uh, let's say I'm like forcing a path here. But how do you feel about the snow matchup and uh, the miracles matchup with like, um, uh, both like you know the red based Delver decks and then the the Abrupt Decay based Delver decks and then like why why is like is Oko still scary is Uro still scary like I don't maybe you explain to me like why you know these cards just don't see much play anymore yeah I need to test a little bit more I didn't really play much Grixis Delver um Bug Delver I already told you I feel somewhat behind but not you know extremely uh and then the red Delver decks against Control I mean it, it totally is it's almost an arms race it depends on like you know, who's metagaming for who, like who's playing what cards kind of deal. I think both sides have pretty good tools. Uh, so I think it's it just comes down to lists and practice. Uh, I think the red builds in terms of, uh, you know, Oko and Uro, like these red decks, they have answers now, basically. They have Red Blast, which they've always had. Um, but now they have a card advantage engine to basically keep chaining uh, counter spells against Uro and Oko, mm -hmm. uh, which was a problem. They they basically ran out of card advantage before, and now they don't. And then they also play stuff like uh, Nile Spellbomb and Caracas yeah. and Soul Guide Lantern. 
So those cards are also, you know, uh, pseudo answers basically to Uro. So yeah. it's not as, uh, you know, devastating as it was. That's that's before. so that's what I was hoping you would say. I, well, let's talk about Caracas for a second. Ved, you had some ideas on that card, right? Some thoughts on that card? Yeah, so I kind of like wanted to... Re- well, I, I didn't play during Mental Misstep, but I feel like this is probably what it felt like, where basically every single deck was either playing Companion or slash playing Misstep or like playing a way to deal with it. And it kind of just feels like every single deck in Legacy is playing between one and two Caracas. Like your Companion is either super safe or your opponents is just going to get bounced every single turn. Yeah. And like it was also there was also a play pattern in Grixis Delver which we were struggling to beat for a little bit, which is like they just bounce your lures and thought sees you and what are you doing to that? Like force the thought sees? Like mm-hmm. it's just really embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think and- Caracas is actually really good right now in the format just because of the synergy between like like when I when I play against uh, Gooey like a couple times, that's Daniel. Um it was incredible the way he like patiently like leverages cards like Dreadhorde to like either eat removal spells or just like you know grind games out and then uh eventually will draw into like one of his two Caracuses and then just like play Alluris after that and then it's like you can literally just never get rid of the cat from the board because you go plow they bounce it then you plow again and then he forces the second plow and you're just like well this is not really good for me you know what I'm saying like um the interaction between like legendary and Caracas is is, is so good to the point where I think every deck really should be should have access to it like we're even seeing like so grixis delver off color caracas um bug delver off color caracas you can play both of those i've seen it a lot and i even think um like that's another reason why like uro which was one of the heavy hitters against delver before like you know like you play uro you gain some life you play it again it gets countered then you just play it again and if it gets countered again then you just play it again you see the point you see the you know pattern here and you keep you had that sort of inevitability, and Caracas really does just, like, neuter that very effectively. Um, I mean, the funny thing about, like, the Caracas being off-color is it's, like, not even really off-color. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, someone in your chat saying it, too. Like, it always casts Lurus. Right, which is which is kind of disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know, I think that's, like, like a really big card to keep on your radar, and especially if you're playing, like, a control deck, like, you need to have ways, this is why I think Back to Basics is so good, is because you need to have ways to sort of mitigate the impact of that card against your companion. So if I'm playing, or, like, your win condition, so if I'm playing Uro, you know, maybe I need to play Back to Basics alongside it, or maybe I need to play, like, Assassin's Trophy. I think that's another really interesting card that both Strifo and Francisco, Francisco said that Assassin's Trophy has been really, so when he got second place in this qualifier, he said it's been a card that has been overperforming for him, so maybe that's another card that'll see more play in the meta, I don't know, from these uh, black-green or control as four-color control decks. So, yeah. Oh yeah, and Arkin is also mentioning Mother of Runes as a as a hot tech uh, for for protecting Luris and things like that. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Um, so okay, cool. So what else? What else do we want to talk about then? I mean, we've we've sort of like nailed uh, a lot of this companion talk and like development and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any other thoughts? Anything you want to talk about, Bob? Um, just want to briefly share my thoughts on the other companion that have been seeing legacy play is zerda mm-hmm. number one that deck is scary powerful uh i don't think uh i think like against good zerda pilots like like one or two force of wills can be easily like beaten and if you don't have it the game can just be over on turn one because they play a car and like either car and on turn one is pretty much um game over against the fair decks and i was talking to Caleb about it and he said that he thought that about 40 percent of the time you're gonna 
you're gonna have four mana on turn one between the solid lands, monoliths, keys, mox opal. Like it is just not difficult to make mana with that deck. And and so I think the blue decks um, really need to respect it more. And whether that's with cards like uh, you know like null rod um, is the big one. I think I think null rod personally I'm gonna be playing it in like. Uh, every Delver deck going forward as a two of because of how scary Zerda is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Zerda Despite the non-bow with Mistress Bobble? Yeah, I mean, you can side out two Bobbles, but it, but when it's like, you know, you have this card that says your opponent's deck doesn't function, mm-hmm. it's fine if you have four decks in your, uh, four cards in your deck that are bricks. Okay. Um, so that that's my take on Zerda. Like, how, do you guys feel similarly? It does, it does feel ridiculously, like when, when spoilers came out, I was actually more excited for Zerda than I was Luris because I was just thinking like, oh wow, the interaction between the monolith and Zerda is just ridiculously powerful. And like, we have seen like, you know, the work that XJ Cloud and, you know, Callum have been doing with, uh, Sorry, sorry, uh, white faces on Twitter. The the work that they've been doing with this Zerda Bomberman archetype has just been incredible, right? They've been literally just like melting through people, like mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't even play knife Bomberman through hot like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Week one was Bomberman, and then week two was like Blade, and then some people were playing red builds with Pyroblast instead of white for Plow. Uh, and now so, it's just like serum powder for more explosive consistency, right? Which is like, like now that you think about it, that's probably like the scariest of all the options like that they could have possibly had, and um. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the combo is just, like, requires, quote, combo, requires so little to go off because Zerda is in your, you always have Zerda in your opening hand, right? So you just need to open up with a monolith and a kill condition, and, like, the rest of your deck is just really efficient at finding all that sort of stuff, so, or not, not, sorry, is, is really efficient at setting it up, rather, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think Zerda, like, if you don't respect it, you will die to it. Um, this is sort of the same attitude that I have towards the other companion that I think is seeing a lot of play in Legacy right now, or maybe, quote, a lot in air brackets, but Garuda, Gyarados, um, the six-mana Belcher that everyone has been, you know, just miserably afraid of, but now that we That one's a lot less scary because it loses to a lot of cards. Yeah. Loses, you know, like, with Trigger on the stack, you can bounce it, plow it, Pyroblast it. Um, they, they can play through Force of Will, through Cavern of Souls and Defense Grid, but, like, when you know those are there, uh, you can do things like force LED, force monolith, mm-hmm. and their deck is a pile of like unplayables almost. Yep. Uh, so like that one um, has been less impactful than Zerda. Right. I think I think the early like premonitions of it, it being like just obscenely busted were mostly because like people just like and this usually happens, right? And I think we might still even be in this larger period where you know it's only been two weeks. We are all adapting to companions and we're still learning about companions and we're still trying new things. And so, you know, when Garuda was doing really well, it was probably because people just weren't like, quote, respecting it. Right. I mean, something about Belcher, like, is when they reveal on turn zero that they're playing Belcher, like you get to mulligan towards interaction. Right. So that's kind of uh, one of the reasons why I think Garuda is not um, super scary is because like you can find your plows and caracuses and like non counterspell interactions to, to beat it. Um I think actually the most interesting application of Garuda that I've seen like after the first wave of decks is like my opponent revealed Garuda uh, on turn zero and then went like Ancient Tomb Chalice of the Void, 
playing Arcbound Ravager the turn afterwards and then like you know steal Overseer and then like in game two they boarded out of the Garuda and they revealed that they were secretly like Luris with Steel Stompy the whole time you know wait what yeah yeah because yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah because you're just like a deck like the CMCs if you can make it work out you just mislead your opponent to mulligan into Oblivion and then you go bop 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 kill you with my walking ballista Arc, Arc, Arcbound Ravager like ASAP so I think that was probably like the coolest application of of Garuda so maybe there are decks that don't actually play the combo but use you know the other aspects of the the card like that isn't that just so smart public information to mislead you i don't know i think it is that's pretty wild yeah it's funny I like it. the release, yeah. yeah but um in terms of so ved i see like a lot of thoughts that you have in terms of like actually deck building with companions um walk me through it i think we've covered uh, a lot of them but yeah definitely yeah so like the biggest one i think is just like Legacy is really fun, I think, right now. Like, obviously, some people's decks are less playable or, like, they have to drastically change the way they're built. And it's really format warping. But I think discovering new play patterns after playing the exact same Legacy of, like, three-drop central is really fun. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, actually. Three drops. I agree with that. Like, and that's maybe one reason I'll be a little bit sad, at least, to see Lyris go, is the play patterns got super interesting again. I feel like the micro-decisions... Are really important every little thing you do with bobble like do you bobble yourself do you bobble your opponent when do you bobble like all of those decisions add up and matter again and it's not just like you know slamming oko slamming uro like that was just so freaking obnoxious and yeah now, like the, the 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 not only is the metagaming and deck building like it matters but also the play decisions are more interesting and minute so i totally agree 100 percent. like i haven't had this much fun playing legacy since basically right after death right was banned right before war of the spark like that era was also super fun um this is right um on par with that i want to say maybe hmm. even more fun just because of like the ridiculous things that you can do um obviously it's not going to last uh companion covid spring but you know <laughs> it's fun while it lasted. yeah i um i i think that's the kind of question that i actually wanted to ask and this goes out to the listeners as well as like whether you guys think that um do you guys think that like the format is diverse right now right because on one hand you have like when we looked at the very beginning like Glorus was in 50 percent of the decks right um companions in about 70 percent of the decks but on the other hand it's just like when you look like when you break down what that actually means Glorus being 50 percent of the decks it's not 50% Delver, you know, it's probably like 30% Delver. Delver. And then there's a lot of crazy decks. That yeah. Play Steel Stompy, White Weenie. Miracles. Elves, yeah. Miracles. That Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, boo, yeah. Storm. Yeah. I think, um, like, like that in and of itself, that sort of like diversity is, is very important. But then I guess the other way you look at it is just like, from from the other perspective which is like if you're not playing a companion what ha like what what happens then right like so for example you know i one of my favorite you know viewers tux dev is like i want it to feel uh, so he's literally saying this right now in the chat i want the choice to not play a companion to be legitimate right and mm -hmm. and that's something that also is so true now there are two ways to actually fix this hear me out if companion companions sort of increase like diversity by like a huge amount that and, and that is actually a good thing moving forward that's awesome but you need to also make it so that like every deck you, i don't want to be forced to play a companion you know what i mean and i think that 
because that is an issue right now that overall maybe companions are still in my mind a little bit unhealthy the way you can solve that either is either to get rid of the companion mechanic or you just print more companions so that there is a companion for everyone to play but then oh, i hate that idea so much yeah exactly or right give them like another downside right like if you have a companion if you reveal a companion you only get to draw six cards for your opener like isn't that like a legitimate downside and there's some decks that will probably still play it yeah but then i, I mean, feel like you just I, make I the companions Go ahead. of some sort um but at the same time i don't know if it's worth speculating on because they've never really done anything like that before yeah and uh you know we're also coming at it with the point of view of competitive magic players we want what's best for the competitive game right but then a casual player would be like super confused if like they're like wait it does not say anything about mulliganing to six or, or whatever the drawback mm -hmm. might be so right. i can see from that perspective they don't really want to go anywhere with errata um but if they do, you know, maybe that'll be a good thing. But if they don't, you know, they, they probably won't. Yeah. Um, here's here's a question for you two. Um, I, so I have my answer in mind. But what percent of the metagame being companions would feel acceptable to you, i.e. to Tuxedo's point, like, you don't feel like you're obligated to play a companion? Uh, right now, you know, uh, what's the number again? Uh, it's like 70% companions in Legacy. I'd feel fine with like 25 to 30%. Oh, that's really low. I was going to say like 50%, 40%, 40%. I, I don't know. Like, okay, see, I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out there. Are way too damn high. Uh, my answer is I would be f completely fine with like 10%. And if it were like 20%, maybe that would still be okay. And right now, I mean, it's not a great way of looking at things. But if you took away Luris, then companions would only be 13%. But I guess you need to divide that 13 by like 60 because that's the non-Luris meta. Mm -hmm. So that'd be like something like 20% of the format is... So like if you exclude Luris from the format, then companions are 20% of the format. Okay. And that to me... It's fine. Feels, it well, still feels I, I not... think if it's 10%, it really indicates that the companions aren't strong because when it... Or like it's not like one of the better things to be doing in the format, right? Like Actually, obviously... It always sucks in the prison. Yeah, but like, like the best thing to do. Like, but we were talking about this earlier. Like, if Luris was only you know had more more restrictive companion thing, like it would definitely see way less play, and then all the companions would uh, you know see less play as a result. I don't think that's a result of the mechanic being bad or the companions being bad, but like you know Luris is just like way more powerful than the other ones, and I still think Zerda and Gyruda are super super powerful. Uh, so I'm going to actually guess... throw this out there. And I think this is kind of a meaningless, meaningless analysis where like, if we look at Luris being gone, what the numbers are like, I still, maybe that just means that like companion is so busted that everyone would just start playing like Yorion, Zerda and Garuda, like well, I don't a lot more. True, though, right. Like I think Garuda's super exploitable. Zerda is somewhat exploitable and Yorion, a ton of problems that we talked about. Yeah. So I think if Luris or Bannon, nothing else were touched, it's possible the format would be fine. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think um, that, that's yeah, actually a really good see... point. That's a really good point because, like, if you look at the companion, Luris is just so obscenely. It's like it's 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 literally as if the oracle text reads, "This companion is better than every other companion. Don't even worry about it." Right? Like it's printed on the card. Like that card is just so good. I feel like the companions aren't going to be that bad if they're like not as strong as Luris is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like they, like Zerda is still going to be a good deck, um, but on the other hand, it's like. Well, I don't know. Actually, I kind of like Zerda for the reason that like it can't play Chalice of the Void, so like it's a little bit more interesting to play against than all the other Ancient Tomb decks. Mm -hmm. um, but but it is just operating at a higher power level. 
Um, so maybe it forces, like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Blackguard Reanimator, like, Blackguard Reanimator forced almost every uh, non-blue deck to play Leyla on Void. Uh, maybe Zerda's going to force every deck to play Null Rod, and that's kind of not what I would prefer. Yeah. And so if that's what ends up happening, then maybe, you know, one day um, it should go. But uh, I think off the bat, maybe we want to wait and see a little bit more, but... Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. One thing uh, that Tuxdev is pointing out is this. It's kind of funny also. Just just while I'm bashing on Luris, I'll just do it. It's, Luris is the only companion right now that you can't main deck and also have as your companion, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that it either was uh, a 2CMC spell originally in design or the companion cost was like you can only play 3CMC permanents or lower. Which is also just boggles my mind. Just those Both of those thoughts are just like make me want to throw up a little well, bit. I think that would make it more fair if it was like if it was every single card in your deck was three CMC or lower, mm. then you can't play Force of Will. Um, I mean, I think in if in Legacy in particular, that would have made the card worse. But I'm sorry, I, I meant like like, per- like permanent. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm just annoyed that it it, it only matters for permanence because yeah. like Karuga, it should just be symmetrical with Karuga in my opinion. But I like that anyways. a lot. Yeah. Actually, that's such a good nerf that it makes me like really upset that we can't nerf cards in Magic: The Gathering. But yeah. <laughs> Alas, okay. maybe one day we'll be designers, but probably yeah. not after all the trash we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. So, I mean, that that wraps up a lot about our thoughts on on companion. Any final words, Daniel? You got anything to say? You kind of been quiet this whole episode. Chirps. Nice, cool. All right. Well, uh, on that note, Ved, thank you so much for joining. Um, we will get this uploaded asap, and I think next episode we might have uh francisco f paulitz join us if he's up for that but um we'll we'll figure that out closer to the date on that note uh this is donarag bob and ved saying bye don't forget to follow at elo punters also follow ved at ved Carhade on twitter um lastly yeah. please leave a five-star re- uh, review on itunes it helps us uh get found in the search engine <laughs> yeah all right bye true bye 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 all right, so I'm hitting, hitting the stop button and then file export as MP3. Yeah. Uh, All right, guys, I'm hunters. done. I'm going to mute you guys. Uh, I'm done streaming for right now. I might be back later for the 7 p.m. prelim. Um, we'll see what I got. But uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed. I actually feel like this is one of our better episodes. Maybe it's because I was drinking coffee today instead of of Coke Zero Energy, but I feel like I was, like, talking a lot and uh, stuff like that. So I will see you guys later. Maybe there's somebody streaming right now who I can raid, twitch.tv, ba-ba-ba. Looks like Yama is streaming right now. Oh, look at that. Ellie is streaming right now, too. Okay, we're just going to raid her. This is our editor, Ellie... Ellie of the Veil. Hang out with her for a little bit if you want to get to know our editor a little bit better. She's awesome personality. Plays mostly standard on Arena, but still, like, I mean, I I just like hanging out with her a lot, like talking to her a lot, and she does a really good job for us as well. So I'll catch you guys later. Thank you for joining, and um, see you either later tonight or tomorrow. Bye.